0: Last week's Easter Sunday services were indeed a glorious celebration. The music was spectacular, with the brass and percussion adding a particular punch to the festivities at both the 8 a.m. and 10.30 services. Having a full set of youth acolytes at the 10.30 service, with two crosses, four torches, and a gospel book holder, added the proper amount of pomp and circumstance. And of course, Nate's preaching was stellar, as usual. It is for this reason that preaching the Sunday after Easter Sunday can be a little daunting. In many churches, this is known as Low Sunday. Worship leaders, wrung out by a week of extra services and extra long services, find the need to take a break, as we see with some of our choir members some priests take the day off, Reverend Katie's on vacation, Um, or at least not preaching, Nate. (laughs) Coming to church on such a day is only for the most faithful, as shown by the difference between last week's 1030 service attendance, 300, 295 people, and today. So you you all get a gold star today. The Gospel reading in particular seems to be, um, but today, sorry, today is known uh, less colloquially as the second Sunday of Easter, which is meant to be a joyous continuation of the Easter celebration begun last Sunday. And the readings are a reflection of this, all speaking of hope and resurrection. The Gospel reading in particular seems to be pulling us back to that immediate aftermath of the resurrection And it is probably no coincidence that the reading we heard today is the same one that is read every year on the second Sunday of Easter, unlike most other gospel readings that vary according to whether we're in year A, B, or C of the Revised Common Lectionary. It seems that we have some unfinished business regarding the resurrection story, or at least a lesson that is important enough to remind us every year. So what is this story? If you recall last week, the gospel reading on Sunday morning was about Mary finding the stone rolled away from the tomb and running to tell Peter and the disciple, whom Jesus loved, who then ran to the tomb themselves, only to find it empty. Mary comes back and weeps outside the tomb and confuses Jesus for the gardener until he calls her name. She then goes to tell the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She is then the first evangelist proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. The reading for today comes immediately after last week's reading, in which we hear that the disciples, presumably the male disciples, were meeting behind locked doors out of fear, and Jesus appears to them. His first words acknowledge their fear and are meant to comfort them. Peace be with you, and he shows them his wounds. He commissions them, telling them to receive the Holy Spirit and the power they have to forgive or not forgive sin. But we are told that one disciple, Thomas, also known as the twin, was not with them in behind these locked doors when Jesus first appeared to them. Now, we do not know why Thomas was not with them. Had he been so despondent that he went off to be alone? Was he not locked in fear as the others and was out caring for other followers who were despondent? Which is believable given that at another point when they are going to visit Lazarus and the other disciples tell Jesus, why would you want to go back there? The Jews were ready to stone you. And Thomas says, let us go there to die with him. So he was also known for his courage. Or was he simply out looking for a job maybe thinking that this gig of disciple was over and he needed to get back into fishing. But whatever the reason, the important thing is that Thomas found his way back to the disciples, back to his community. However, when told by the others that they had seen the Lord, his response was that of one who perhaps felt cheated. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. This statement has earned him the non-scriptural moniker of doubting Thomas. But commentators and preachers alike have stressed that what he demanded, hard evidence of the resurrection, was nothing less than that needed by other disciples for them to believe. The empty tomb was not enough, perhaps demonstrating that doubt and skepticism were traits shared by all. In fact, some commentators believe that such skepticism was essential if the story of the resurrection was to be believed. Further, it was the disciples' personal encounters with Jesus, with the risen Christ, outside the tomb and in the world that ultimately transformed their despair into hope and their doubt into belief. But the part of today's Gospel reading that moved me the most was the second appearance of Jesus to the disciples which seemed expressly to reach Thomas. We hear that a week later his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Perhaps concerned when he didn't see Thomas the first time, Jesus comes back. And after greeting the disciples again with, Peace be with you, he goes straight to Thomas. But rather than chastise him for wanting physical evidence, he instead affirms him. Put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. In other words, Jesus knew Thomas, knew what his questions were, and he met him where he was. The simple gesture of acknowledging and even validating Thomas's concerns spoke volumes of their relationship. Jesus knew Thomas would ask the hard questions, perhaps the questions that the rest of the disciples had but we were too afraid to ask. Just a few days earlier when Jesus was with them at the Last Supper, we saw evidence of this. In what has been dubbed Jesus' farewell discourse, Jesus at one point tells the disciples that he is preparing a place for them in his father's house and that, quote, they know the way to the, way to the place where I am going, unquote. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus answers with the statement that has inspired song and creed I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if Thomas had not asked his question, the disciples would not have had clarification on this very important point. Anyone who has taught or lectured knows that if there are no questions during or after the lecture, if there's Dead silence when you ask if there are any questions. That is not usually a good sign. It often means that people were not following you or not paying attention or you didn't say anything worth listening to or they couldn't process what you said. But in any event, it usually means that not much was gained or learned. Thomas asked the questions that all the disciples probably had or should have had but we were too concerned about looking stupid or looking like they were challenging their teacher. Asking questions shows that one is engaged, just as a bit of doubt or skepticism can be a healthy part of one's faith journey. Paul Tillich, who is considered one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century wrote, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Doubt, questions, skepticism. These are all signs of a vibrant and healthy life of faith, evidenced by this doubting Thomas who later went further than any of the disciples off to India to be a missionary. Last spring some of you may remember that my older son Nathaniel and the two sly boys McCabe and Sam were confirmed by Bishop Fred Borsch here at St. Augustine's. Now this event was particularly special to me because Bishop Borsch had confirmed me in this same place 25 years ago to the date and had been an important influence on me as I entered the ordination process. And as an aside, he had even suggested to me when I was pregnant with my first child that we name him Nathaniel. <laughs> but I also knew that I couldn't force Nathaniel to get confirmed as much as I really wanted him to do it in this at that time with this bishop. So all I asked was that he attend the classes with Father Nate and that after the classes he could decide whether to get confirmed. We had several conversations about his decision as the classes wound down and the confirmation date approached. He confided in me that he wasn't really sure if he believed everything taught in the church, that he had his doubts and should he get confirmed. Well, this is Quite appropriate, since we also considered Thomas as a name for him. And I assured him that, yes, this was okay to have doubts, that getting confirmed is a decision to wrestle with these doubts, but within a community, within a community that is encouraging reflection and seeking meaning in the chaos around us, opening our eyes to needs in the community and world, and challenging us to work together to address those needs. This is essentially what we all commit to in our baptismal covenant, whether at baptism or confirmation. If you remember what we, we, the priest asks us, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in the prayers? Will you resist evil and whenever you fall into sin, which to me is code for, yes, you're going to fall into sin, repent and learn to return to the Lord. Proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And our response to each one of these questions is, I will with God's help. In other words, it is expected that we will need help. It is expected that we will fail. God does not look for perfection, but faithfulness. And faithfulness requires asking questions and struggling with our doubts, being honest and being connected to others, trying to do the same thing. And just as Thomas found his way back to his community to ask those difficult questions and to be transformed by his encounter with Jesus, may St. A's be a place that others can find their way back to, a place to ask difficult questions and a place of transformation, that this place would be a safe place for all, wherever they may be on their life's journey. Amen.